0: Welcome to RBC's Markets in Motion podcast, recorded April 25th, 2022. I'm Lori Calvasina, Head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. This week in the podcast, we run through our key takeaways from our monthly macroscope report, our deep quantitative dive into the S&P 500, stocks versus bonds, U.S. versus non-U.S. equities, growth versus value, sectors, and small caps. Four big things you need to know this month. First, we've trimmed our year-end 2022 S&P 500 target from 5,050 to 4,860. The recent move up in bond yields was the biggest contributor to the downward revision. Second, we think U.S. equities are likely to keep benefiting from safe haven status a bit longer. Third, we continue to be more intrigued with growth than value going forward, though we'd be highly selective in our growth exposure. And fourth, while small caps are looking interesting again on valuation and positioning, we remain concerned that fundamentals will stay challenging for small caps given the downshift in economic expectations towards slower growth. If you'd like to hear more, here's another seven minutes. While you're waiting, a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and other platforms. Now, let's jump into the details. Takeaway number one. We have trimmed our year-end 2022 S&P 500 price target from 5050 to $4,860. we are still looking for modest gains on the year and upside from here through year-end. We've refreshed the models we used to arrive at our S&P target for the latest shifts in the macro variables that serve as inputs, and the new target is the average of 13 different scenarios or back-tests that we examined. The recent move up in bond yields was the biggest contributor to the downward revision. But importantly, these models are arguing for slower gains in U.S. equities going forward as opposed to automatic and outright declines. The percent of stocks with a dividend yield in excess of the 10-year Treasury yield has fallen to 18% as of mid-April. That's a level consistent with a 5.1% gain in the S&P on a 9-month forward basis. Additionally, when real yields are rising, 9-month forward S&P 500 gains have averaged about 6.8%. It's worth noting that our sentiment models do generally remain constructive. Frankly, given how bad the sentiment is out there, our AAII test calls for a year-end level of forty-seven forty-two on the S&P. We were still well below the minus ten percent threshold in favor of the bears last week, that historically has pointed to a strong rebound in stocks. Another one of our sentiment tests anticipates an even stronger move to 52.59. That's the number implied when we bake in the average rebound off growth scare lows such as 2010, 2011, 2015, 2016, and late 2018, which recent trading has mimicked interestingly, including the current bout of weakness that we're in. Even though economic forecasts on the street have been lowered, our GDP-based models are also still generally in the constructive camp pointing to an S&P 500 that ends the year somewhere in the 4800 5300 range. The least constructive of those tests is worth highlighting. It looks at what happens to the S&P in years that come before a deceleration of real GDP growth to below average levels. That's the setup called for by the current consensus, which is now looking for 2.1% real GDP next year after 3.1% growth this year. Historically, we do get an S&P 500 up about 0.7% on average ahead of that kind of deceleration. This model calls for the S&P to end the year right at 4,800. Moving on to takeaway number two. We think U.S. equities are likely to keep benefiting from safe haven status for a bit longer. We continue to get a lot of questions about why U.S. equities have been so resilient. The idea that U.S. equities are benefiting from safe haven status, that they're outperforming non-U.S. equities, is a big part of the reason why, in our opinion. The U.S. dollar has rallied, and U.S. equities have done what they normally do when this happens, outperform their non-U.S. peers. Economic surprises also look a bit better in the U.S. right now than other major countries. Consensus GDP forecasts for 2022 are improving in the U.S. relative to EU, and recession expectations have risen much faster for Europe than the U.S. Additionally, gauges of economic sentiment and economic policy uncertainty have been more resilient in the U.S. than other major countries around the world. For now, the Russia-Ukraine war, as well as COVID, which is hitting China hard, are being viewed by equity market participants as having fewer reverberations in the U.S., and for now, all of this is overriding the expensive relative valuation profile of the U.S. Moving on to takeaway number three, we continue to be more intrigued with growth than value going forward. In mid-March, the growth trade started to outperform value in a trade that lasted through early April when value took the reins again, and right now the relative ratio between growth and value is right back where it was when it inflected in mid-March. From a bigger picture, longer-term perspective, four things keep us in the growth camp. First, when U.S. equities are outperforming non-U.S. equities, growth does tend to beat value within the U.S. Second, value typically outperforms ahead of first Fed rate hikes, but growth tends to take leadership back during the hiking cycle. Third, value typically outperforms when the economy is running above average, but growth tends to take back leadership when the economy is running below average, as consensus expectations have started to anticipate for 2023 and 2024. And fourth, growth is higher quality than value on a quantitative basis, a factor that tends to outperform over time and when uncertainty is high and rising. There are a few other tactical indicators we're watching on the growth value trade that are also keeping us in the growth camp. To start with, NASDAQ futures positioning among asset managers has been recovering after hitting 2020-2021 lows, suggesting to us that growth got oversold earlier this year. Second, ETF lows are starting to fade for value while improving for growth. Third, growth is starting to look slightly attractive again on versus value on normalized PEs and cash flow multiples. Fourth, the growth value relative P.E. has returned to pre-pandemic levels. And fifth, the compression in the growth value relative forward P.E. does tend to move in sync with the relative long-term earnings growth expectations of the two style segments. That was a gap that had been narrowing, but now appears to be stabilizing. Additionally, the rate of upward earnings estimate revision trend slightly favors value over growth at the moment, but less so than recent moment months. This suggests to us that the current reporting season could be an important turning point for this trade. I'll wrap up with some thoughts on small cap. While small caps are looking interesting again in certain respects, we do remain concerned that fundamentals will stay challenging for them. Small caps have been trading sideways relative to large caps since late January and longer-term investors might want to consider getting more neutral than underweight this part of the market. That being said, we think it's too early to go overweight the small-cap space. As for the areas where the setup for small-cap has improved, sell-side ratings are on the rise for the Russell 2000 relative to mega-caps, and small-cap futures positioning among asset managers does appear to have bottomed after hitting 2016 lows on a dollar value basis and 2020 lows on number-of-contracts basis. Additionally, the Russell 2000's weighted median forward PE multiple has dipped slightly below its long-term average again. That's similar to what we saw in early 2020 when small caps briefly got cheap. What's holding us back from wanting to move to an overweight on small caps? On earnings, we continue to see evidence that small caps are having a tougher time managing through margin pressures. The rate of upward earnings estimate revisions has been far weaker for the Russell 2000 than the S&P 500. Additionally, the rate of change on small cap margins has been trailing that of large cap margins, something that normally drives the performance between the small and large cap size segments. And on the economy, small cap reliably tends to see a major peak in performance versus large cap in the middle of hiking cycles. And as we've discussed on the podcast before, small caps typically underperform large caps when GDP is trending below average, which is the setup heading into next year. Small caps also tend to lag when ISM manufacturing is falling, another condition in place, when small business optimism is waning, something else we've been seeing lately, and when high yield credit spreads are widening, something that just seems to be getting started. That's all for now. We appreciate your patience as this podcast was a little longer than usual this week. We just had a lot to say. Please reach out to your RBC representative with any questions and be sure to check out our sister podcast, RBC's Industries in Motion, for thoughts on specific sectors from RBC's team of equity analysts. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.